Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. If you would, join me this morning in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And what a privilege it is to once again stand behind this pulpit and be able to share God's word with us this morning. And in 1 Kings chapter 18 this morning, uh, we are going to look at a message from the life of Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet to the nation of Israel. And here we are going to look at this morning the outcome of sacrificial giving. The outcome of sacrificial giving. If you've seen, if you have First uh, Kings chapter eighteen, if you would, let's stand together as we read God's word as we begin this message. Go ahead and stand with me this morning, and uh, we in our message this morning, we're going to be looking at verses seventeen through thirty-nine. But we're not going to read all that right now. We're going to just read a few verses. If you would join me there in verse number thirty, the Bible says this: and Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time, and they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time, and they did it the third time. And the water ran about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. Father, I ask this morning through your word and through, Lord, your messenger, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, we don't just invite you into this place. Lord, we also give you permission to speak to us, God. And when you speak to us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, we, we ask and we ask you, Lord, that you would allow us just to respond to your word as, as you have made um, us convicted this morning. Lord, I pray that today, as a result of this message, we will understand that, that sacrificial giving has a great outcome. Lord, that outcome is to see you work in a wonderful way. And Lord, I pray that this message will be an encouragement uh, to the Christian. And Lord, I pray that if there's any among us this morning that does not have a relationship with you, God, that through your word this morning that they would be convicted and that even this morning they might start that ever, that so important relationship with you. We love you. I pray that you'll be honored and glorified now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You could be seated this morning. Here in 1 Kings chapter 18, it, it gives us a story of when Elijah confronted the, the king uh, Ahab in the nation of Israel. The big picture, though, of this message is really this. God uses the work and sacrifice of his people to bring about a mighty work that leaves no doubt. God uses the work and sacrifice of his people to bring about a work that that leaves no doubt. And this morning, we will look to see how God uses the work and the work of Elijah and the sacrifice of the people of Israel to bring about a work that ultimately left no doubt and brought more people to him. 
But in 1 Kings chapter 18, we have to understand that the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles gives us the, the detailed history of the nation of Israel and how God used different kings to lead the nation. And, and some were great and, and some were not so great. And here in 1 Kings chapter 18, we have a time period in the nation of Israel's history where they had a bad king. And the king at the time was King Ahab. And, and what we know about King Ahab is he wasn't just a wicked king in, in his decisions and the people that he placed around them. He was a wicked king because he led the nation of Israel to not just follow the one true God, but to follow the pagan God whose name was Baal. And in the Old Testament, we know also that, that God did not use the Bible because the Bible wasn't fully compiled in the Old Testament. God didn't use a pastor in the Old Testament because there wasn't a church that was formed in the Old Testament. But what God did use is throughout the Old Testament, we see many times that God used a prophet to come and speak to the nation of Israel. And that's exactly what Elijah was. He was a, a major prophet, so to speak. And he would receive a word from God through a revelation from God to be given to God. Because Elijah was a man of God who received a word of God to then give it to the people of God. And that's exactly what we see here in 1 Kings chapter 18. And, and this is a wonderful story, but there's so many truths that, that we can gather out of it this morning. If you would, notice with me first of all this morning, the, the reminder from God. The reminder from God. Here in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse number 17, the Bible says this, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. When here in this story, we see that, that Elijah comes back into the nation there, and, and he's confronted with King Ahab. And King Ahab at this point has definitely known Elijah up to this point because there's already been some contention between the two of them. And here when Elijah comes, he, he greets or he meets King Ahab and King Ahab stops him. And he says this, are you the one who has troubled Israel? What exactly is he talking about? What is he referencing here? Well, we do know that, that King Ahab was a wicked man. He was a wicked man. And, and what he was talking about here is what we see, first of all, is that you cannot escape God's judgment. You cannot escape God's judgment. You see, King Ahab knew that there was something amiss going on. Because when he looked outside, it was dry. When he, when he looked out for the rain... There was no rain. In fact, for three and a half years at this point, there was no rain in the nation of Israel. Why? Because it was God's judgment upon the entire nation of Israel. We see in first, uh, we see here, and we were to go back to First Kings chapter sixteen, that King Ahab was, as the Bible says, and Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. It goes on to say in verse number 33, And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. King Ahab was a bad dude. 
He was bad and he was wicked. And he got the nation of Israel to stop serving the one true God. And he turned their heart and their worship and their affection towards a false God whose name was Baal. In fact, if we were to read 1 Kings, we know that not only did they just turn, uh, turn the people's hearts from the one true God to the false God, they also went and killed all the prophets of the one true God. That's why here in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah says, I am the only one left. Because they had killed all of the other prophets of God. Ahab was not just a wicked king in his decisions and discernment. He was a wicked king in that he invited the false prophets of a false god to come into the kingdom. Baal was a false god that was worshipped for fertility. He was worshipped for the, the agrarian society that they were in. That, that they, he would provide the rain. We kind of see Elijah going back and forth wondering how he could get their attention and, and really get them to understand that God wanted their attention. We see in 1 Kings chapter 17, in verse number 1, the Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Elijah didn't know where to go, how to move forward. Elijah didn't know how to get their attention. But what he said this, once they started worshiping the God of the rain, Elijah said, let me show you who the God of the rain is. And I'm going to pray to the God of the rain, who is the one true God, and let's just see how this pans out. Let's just see what happens here. And so he's in, in verse Kings chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah prays a prayer, and it, God, he just says, God, Lord, don't let it rain. Don't let the, there be dew on the ground. May there be no water so we could show the children of Israel who the one true God is. First Kings chapter 17, verse 5 through 7, the Bible says, And Elijah went and did according unto the word of the Lord, and he went and dwelt by the, bo by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the, book, of the brook. And verse number 7 says, And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Elijah was known throughout the New Testament as well as the one who, got, who, uh, who prayed such a strong prayer and had such a walk with God that God listened to him and withheld the rain for three and a half years. In James 15 or 5 verse 17 we see the Bible says Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years in six months. And we see the same thing in Luke 4, verse 25, that he was known as a man who got God's attention and withheld rain. But what strikes me, though, is what question Ahab asked Elijah as he entered. He says, are you the one who has troubled Israel? Are you the one that we could place the blame on? Because we are all dealing with the consequences of someone's actions. So are you the person? You know, we cannot, you cannot escape God's judgment. Many of us, we can choose the sin that we like to indulge in, but you won't be able to choose a consequence of that. Every one of us in this room this morning, the Bible says, is a sinner. In fact, in Romans 3.23, the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us in this room is a sinner by birth. In Romans 6, verse 23, the Bible goes on to say that the wages of sin is death. 
Every one of us in this room this morning and everyone who is watching by way of live stream will come a point in their life where they will die and they will face God's judgment. But what dictates the ultimate fate of that judgment is whether we have a relationship with Christ. If you have come into a walk with Christ and a relationship with Christ, when you stand before God, the Bible says, as it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. When you stand before Christ, when you die, which could be today on your way home, which could be sometime this week in a tragic accident, when you stand before Christ, which you do not know when that will be, what will you say? Will you plead the blood of Christ and say, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, that's how I know that I have, uh, I could go to heaven? Or will you know what to say? You cannot escape God's judgment. And that's what we see here is that Ahab chose the sin and he chose to bring the nation of Israel to follow after the false god of Baal. But what he didn't account for was that the consequence for that action was going to affect everybody in his sphere of influence. And you and your family can make a decision, but what you make a decision can have lasting consequences for generations to come. You can choose your sin, but you cannot choose your consequence, and you cannot choose, and you cannot escape God's judgment. But not only do we see that as a reminder from God, we also see that you cannot follow two gods. You cannot follow two gods. In verses 21 through 25, the Bible says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. We see that that. Elijah turned his attention from talking to King Ahab, and he, he stopped talking to them, and then he, I don't know if he gathered the nation of Israel, I don't know how this conversation happened, but now he directed his attention back to the nation of Israel, and he says this, you cannot follow two gods. You cannot serve Baal and God. Choose today who you will serve. And you know, since the very beginning of human history, this has been a battle that every one of us face. In fact, in Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus says, No man can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other, love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Moses says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And, and even in Joshua, Joshua is facing the same thing. He says, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, the nation of Israel, they were going back and forth between serving Baal and, and understanding that Baal might have some power. And we'll talk about that in a minute. That, that Baal could do some things. We could pray to Baal and there are some things happened. But we could also pray to, pray to God, and, and God had some things that he was able to do. And so here's where they were at. When they looked at everything, they saw the benefits of God and the promises of God, but they also saw the benefits and pleasures of a false god. And even today in our own life and in our own situation, every one of us have that decision to make if we will follow mammon or if we will follow God. 
And frankly speaking, across the room this morning, every one of us are going to have a different false god that we would serve. That's why in Romans chapter 12, the Bible says that, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which does so easily beset us. Every one of us would have something that we would follow other than God in our own lives. Here's what Elijah was telling them. It is impossible to try to follow the one true God and a false God at the same time. So the second reminder is you cannot serve two gods. But I think it goes on here in 1 Kings chapter 18 that, that Ahab is, or he tells Ahab, or Elijah tells Ahab that, that it's not him who has troubled Israel. It's Ahab's decision and what he has brought, the, the pain and the decision that he has made is what has brought the consequences on the nation of Israel. Now there's a challenge, and they go up to Mount Carmel, and, and they want to prove and to show at this point who is the one true God. You know, there's going to be a point in every one of our lives we, where we will need the Almighty to show up. Yesterday in our family, it was my cousin who needed desperately the power of God and the great physician to show up. And there's, the pastor mentioned they're still in the hospital, and, and you, know, you, know, you never know when you're going to be in the hospital. You never know when you're going to get that bad news. And there's going to come a point in time in your life where you are going to need God to show up. But if you live your life serving a false God, the, the third reminder I see is you cannot expect false gods to show up. You cannot expect false gods to show up. And that's exactly what we see here, that, that, that the, the children of Israel had got to a point where they were so focused that they, that they followed Baal and, and they came up to Mount Carmel. And in verses 23 through 29, we see the story here where they, the, the prophets of Baal had erected an altar and they had erected a statue or an altar to, to give a sacrifice back to Baal. They had put a bullock on it and, and they, for, for hours upon end, they were screaming and they were crying and they were begging Baal to send fire. And no matter what they did, no matter what prayers they prayed, no matter how they, how they danced or the, the cutting that they did, they did not get Baal to show up. And why is that? Because you cannot expect false gods to show up when you need a God to show up. You know, you can live a life that serves mammon and you could serve a life that is pleasurable. But when you need God in your life, there will come a point in time where if you are serving a false God and you need the, real, the one true God, you will be disappointed. And that's exactly what we see here. Elijah gathered all the prophets of Baal and the nation of Israel and invited them up to Mount Carmel. And, and yet, when no matter what they did and no matter how they spoke to God or to Baal, nothing was able to move, uh, nothing was able to move Baal. In fact, Elijah, we see here in verse number 27, and it came to pass that Elijah mocked them. And he cr said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in journey, or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awake. He is, he's mocking them. He's saying, hey, you, your, your God must be sleeping. Hey, hey, do something. Let's, let's keep going. I'll, I'll, I got all day long. We'll, we'll, we'll stay here until your God shows up. And he was understanding and he was getting them to understand. You have served Baal up to this point because he has promised a lot. But when it comes down to it, he will never deliver. 
The last several weeks, Pastor Armstrong has been preaching through the, the book of Matthew. And if you notice, he has preached two messages from one passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. In both of those passages, he has taught us how to deal with temptation. How do we have victory over temptation? And he has said one quote that has astounded me both times. The devil will always get you to believe a promise that he can never deliver on. He can promise that sin is pleasurable. And guess what? Sin is pleasurable. But it's pleasurable for a season. And that sin that we might indulge in, and that lifestyle that we might indulge in, and whatever it might be, we might indulge in it for a season, but it will never lead to lasting satisfaction because that can only come through a walk with God. So we see the reminder from God that Elijah is getting the nation of Israel to understand. But secondly, this morning, notice the, the act of God. The act of God. In verses 30 through 38, which we read this morning as we opened this message, we see that God shows up when Elijah needed him the most. First of all, we see that the act of God requires work. The act of God requires work. At some point in this, this scene, in this scenario, when they were on Mount Carmel and, and Baal never showed up, and all the people, the, the prophets of Baal, were trying to get him to show up, Verse number 30, we see, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. He, he almost said, Okay, let me, let, me see what, let me see what I can do. You stop worrying about Baal, and let's just see if God is the one true God. And so he says, Come near unto me. And he goes on, and he goes on to say, And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Elijah replied, uh, uh, repaired the altar, and he invited everyone near. Now, I think he invited everyone near for two reasons. First of all, because I, I see, first of all, truth is not afraid of examination. When, when he, he wanted everybody to come near so that he could see that he wasn't doing something under the table. And why is that? Because the second reason is this. The prophets of Baal knew that Baal was not a true God. So what they would do is they would have these burnt sacrifices and, and they would build this altar. But what they'd also do, this commentator said, they would dig holes around the outside of the altar. That would go all the way to the bottom of the altar. And while everybody was praying and crying out to Baal and everybody was weeping and, and cutting themselves, what would happen, there'd be one or two that would go to the back of the altar and they would slip fire in from a, a different hole and go underneath it. And guess what? It would happen. And here's what the children of Israel said. Wow, how is this possible? Because it looked good on the outside, but it was so fake. You know, that's the devil, the, 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 the lies that he said then, that it's so good, is the same lies that he says today. When it comes to sin and, and living in idolatry and, and living in serving the God of mammon, it promises a lot, but it is always fake. And the act of God requires work. And throughout all the Bible, God calls men and women to use their gifts and be used by God to bring about a great work for God. Nowhere in the Bible does God use someone who is just sitting on the sideline. Nowhere does God just use someone in a great way where, where they're not doing something for the Lord. He has told them to get up and, and to work. That's why in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, the Bible says, As every man hath received the gift of a, a spiritual gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you are saved this morning, God has given you a spiritual gift. 
And God has given you a gift that can be used in a great way to edify and encourage and to build up the local church. We're so thankful that the act of God requires work and we are blessed with so many who work in different ministries here at Tucson Baptist Church. But the act of God doesn't just require work. The act of God involves sacrifice. The act of God involves sacrifice. Now, if you would, go with me to verse number 33. The Bible says this, And he, Elijah, put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Verse 34, he says, And he said, Do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, Do it the third time. And they did it the third time. Now, a quick reading over of this story, doesn't, that doesn't stand out. But what was the punishment that Elijah had prayed over the nation of Israel? A drought. A famine. We see in 1 Kings 17, 3-5, that, that the brooks had dried up. There had not been rain or dew on the ground or in the air for three and a half years. We go nine months here and we think we're going to die. Three and a half years and there's no rain. There's no water. And yet here they are on the top of the mountain after a climb that they had to get up there. And after all day of them trying to call Baal, he says, hey, fill the bears with water. Where did that water come from? Now the Bible doesn't say, but, but as I was thinking through this passage, maybe Every one of these people had gone to the well once or twice a week, and that's all they had. And so they were able to put it in those little, uh, those little containers that they had to drink water out of. And maybe they knew they were going to be up on Mount Carmel for most of the day, and so they took the little bit of water that they had left. They go up to Mount Carmel, and as they're watching the prophets of Baal, maybe they're sipping very gingerly on, on that water because they knew that that's all that they had for the day. And then Elijah steps up and he says, all right, fill these barrels with water. Maybe he gets the, the people to go through and he, he takes these barrels and he says, hey, I know you have water in that canteen. You pour a little bit in here. And he goes throughout the entire crowd and people are looking and they're saying, man, this is a precious commodity. There's no water. There's no rain. There's no dew. The brooks are dried up. The water is empty. Where are we going to get the water? And he, they go around and they fill four barrels and People are giving a little bit, but saying, okay, I think that's enough for the rest of the day. So they pour it on the altar, and, and Elijah says, do it again. So they go back, and the people are like, well, I, okay, here's a little, this, this, is, this is the most that I have. Here's just a little bit more. And they ultimately do that three times, and 12 barrels are full. And here's what I know is that every one of those people had to probably sacrificially give in order to see a great work of God. Yet, it was the very thing that God needed them to give in order for there to be an act of God that left no doubt. About two weeks before Anniversary Sunday, so about six weeks ago, I was over at Dale and Mary Ann Idris' house. And I was there with Virginia Deschamps, and we were talking, and uh, we were leaving, and, and uh, 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 Virginia and Mary Ann, they were in the other room, and Dale and I were sitting there, and, and Dale was sitting there in his walker. And uh, Dale was... Uh, kind of got some tears in his eyes. And he said, you know, many years ago, we were in the Spanish chapel. Pastor Johnson said, hey, I have this vision. 
I have this idea that we need to build a bigger building, and I need you to help fund it. Now, you're on a dirt road, the Spanish chapel's full, and Dale said that they didn't have a lot of money, but that the man of God gave them a word from God to reach more people for God, and he says, we'll give a little bit that we have. And there were many people in the church that financially and sacrificially gave of a precious commodity called the dollar bill. And they gave sacrificially. And we are reaping the benefits of a prior generation's sacrificial giving this morning. We are sitting in a beautiful auditorium in our Spanish chapel. Some 200 people are sitting in the Spanish chapel this morning. And we are reaping the benefits of a prior generation's sacrificial giving. Pastor Johnson didn't just stop there. He says, hey, let's go get some vehicles to bring more people in. And they said, okay, Pastor Johnson, here's some more money. And, and that vision doesn't just stop with Pastor Johnson. Pastor Armstrong has got up here and says, hey, we need to reach more people with Christ. Let's, let's open up a preschool and let's open up an academy. And, and we've seen students come to know the Lord as their Savior. We've seen families from the preschool come and hear about Christ. And, and we have seen God continually work through the people of this church. But it takes the sacrificial giving to make it happen. You see, in order for them to see the act and the work of God, it required a sacrificial giving across the, the, the children of Israel to give up what they had in order for them to see the work of God. You see, the act of God involves sacrifice, and, and we are experiencing the fruits of a past generation sacrificial giving. But does God's work end today? As we look around the room this morning, there's a lot of empty seats. Are we okay with that? Are we comfortable with that? Is it nice to have a little bit of elbow room? You know what? Here is what I believe. Is that we have a pastoral staff and we have a church who is, wants to reach Tucson. We want to see people come to know the Lord as their Savior. We want to see marriages strengthened. We want to see parents being, bringing their families to church. We want to see new Christians discipled. We want to see new Christians baptized. And we want to see God continue to work in this church. And I promise you, church, there's going to come a point in time where pastor says this is the next step forward that we need to take. And it's going to take collectively all of us to give something. And in order for us to collectively see the work of God, it's going to require all of us to sacrificially give. But the question is, will we be ready when that call comes? The children of Israel, they were halted between two opinions. They were serving God and they were serving Baal. And, and Elijah says, you can't do both. And here's what he had, get, had them understand, that the act of God involves sacrifice, but the act of God thoroughly leaves no doubt. The act of God thoroughly leaves no doubt. Once they had doused the altar with the water, verse 36 through 38, the Bible says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. 
You see, when the fire of God falls, it leaves no doubt who or where it came from. I think about many services in Tucson Baptist Church's history where we have left a service thinking, God showed up. I think back to, back to I think it was around 2017, 2016, 2017, where we had a friend day here, and, and Pastor Shetler came over, and he preached a gospel message. And we saw 40 people walk the aisle and trust Christ with their, with their life. I think of different Easter services and different Christmas services where the, 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 the Holy Spirit was just in our midst, and we left saying, God showed up. May we never get over for when God shows up. May we be on our face weekly, if not daily, saying, God, we need you to work in our midst. God, we want you to be here, and we want you to work in our midst, and we give you permission. And when God shows up, it leaves no doubt. And why does it leave no doubt? Because we see, thirdly, the response to God. The response to God. In verses 39 through 40, the Bible goes on to say this. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto him, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slew them there. We see that the act of God leads to a response to God. First of all, when you experience the act of God, it leads to surrender. God's power leads to surrender. And when you can experience God's power in your life, when you can experience God's restoration in your marriage, when you can bring, when you can experience God's power of saving you from the bondage and the grip of hell, when you can experience God's power, it will lead to surrender. That's what we see here in verse 39. When all the people saw the fire that fell from heaven, they got on their faces and they surrendered back to God. When the people saw God's power, it, it moved them to action and they fully surrendered to God and they chose to follow after the one true God. But true surrender leads, secondly, surrender leads to death. Surrender leads to death. See, the children of Israel, they knew that God was God. They had experienced his provision. They, they had experienced his blessing. They had experienced God's protection, and, and they knew that God was the one true God. But what, they, what happened is they allowed a false God to linger in their midst. They allowed a false God, and they allowed the God of mammon, a, something that gave them satisfaction just to be present. And hear me this morning. A false God that you allow to be present in your home, or a false God that you allow to be present in your life, will be a God that one day takes control of your life. That's why here, when Elijah saw that the people's faces were on the ground and they were recognizing the one true God, he says in verse number 40, go and kill the prophets of Baal. And I think that Elijah did this for two reasons. First of all, he did this to make them consecrate their decision to follow after God. 
They, 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 Elijah knew that these, the children of Israel had come to a point where they said, okay, yes, God is the one true God. And in order to make that firm, and in order to make that, that decision certain, he says, go and kill them. It's a pretty, pretty uh, um, important decision. I have to go kill those people? The people that I've been serving? I have to kill the people that have defined me for the last several years? Elijah says yes. So the first, I think the first reason is to cement their decision. But I think more importantly than that is Elijah had them kill the prophets of Baal. So that way the next generation didn't have to fight a battle that they could kill. That they could finish. In our homes this morning, this morning and in our marriages this morning, and in our lives this morning. If we do not take care of the sin in our life, the next generation will deal with that sin. If we do not get control, if we do not sacrifice, if we do not, what the Bible says is mortify or kill or or put in its place. If we do not do that in our homes, in our families, in our personal lives, the next generation will deal with the sins that we could have killed and gotten rid of in our lives. And again, across the room this morning, that's going to be different. And, and that's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, Paul says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye live through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Mortify there simply means to kill or to put in place or to make sure that they don't have precedence in your life. In Colossians 3, verse 5, the Bible says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The battles that the children of Israel were facing and fighting, they were able to kill the prophets of Baal, and it spared the next generation from fighting and from enduring the temptation that they ultimately were enduring themselves. Surrender leads to death. And I think what is a dangerous, something that's very dangerous in today's society in Christendom is we have said that you can ask Jesus to be your Savior without also at the same time saying you must repent of your sins. You must turn away from your sins because you cannot serve God and you cannot serve mammon. And many new Christians have started off and they feel like they can't get victory over their sin because they have never tried to kill their sin. They have thought that they could serve God and they could also serve their sin. But hear me this morning, you cannot serve God and mammon. And this morning, maybe you need to have a funeral in your life. And you need to say, God, I have tried to live serving you, and I've tried to serve this other sin, and I've tried to serve uh, this other thing in my life. And God, this morning I realize that I cannot serve both. And this morning, God, I, I want to kill it, and I want to I I put it before you. And Lord, may I, not, may I not be tempted anymore, and may the next generation also not be tempted of it anymore. I close this morning with Matthew 6, verse 24. Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. 
ye cannot serve God and mammon. The big picture of this morning's message is simply this. God uses the work and sacrifice of his people to bring about a mighty work that leaves no doubt. I ask you this morning as we close, a couple questions. First of all, I see this. What in your life do you need to mortify? What in your life do you need to have a funeral for and and to kill? Frankly speaking, it could be a lot of different things. What in your life do you need to mortify? What is your besetting besetting sin? What is the, the sin that you have been given over to? What funeral needs to happen today? And Secondly, do, do you need to surrender to God this morning and give your life to him? Maybe this morning you're thinking, Pastor Jonathan, I, I would serve God, but I haven't started a relationship with him. This morning I'm ready to repent and to turn from my sin and to follow after Christ. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this morning we just ask ourselves a question, are you ready to sacrificially give when we need to take that next step in reaching Tucson? Are you ready to sacrificially give so we can see the work of God.